Your money is either going to help you get to heaven and be a saint or send you to hell. That's what we're talking today on Elevate Ordinary. Welcome back to Elevate Ordinary. I'm your host, John Mark Grodi. I'm Teresa Grodi. And we're back bringing you another extraordinary conversation about the ordinary pursuit of truth, goodness, and beauty. Thanks for, again for joining us uh, for this conversation. And we've got a couple of special guests uh, with us today that I'll introduce here in a moment. Jacob Imam and Mark Barnes, a couple of good good friends of ours. Um, we're going to have a great conversation. Before we get to that, I just want to remind you as always that, hey, if you like this show and what we're doing here at Awaken Catholic, we'd invite you to, to first check out the app, the awakenapp.io. It's the best way to follow this show and other shows cre- created by Awaken Catholic. Um, and I'd like to invite you, again, if you enjoy this show, to follow along and perhaps consider becoming a patron. Uh, we have a new community that you can access through the Awaken app uh, for members who are supporters of the show. We're going to have bonus content there, um, some neat discussions kind of behind the scenes about what the show is about, elevating the ordinary experience, finding how God is leading us to be saints in the ordinary life, the life of family, home, hearth, community, all that good stuff. So please check that out at theawakenapp.io or learn more about our show at elevateordinary.com. This episode is sponsored by Rob Holler at Key Realty. Rob's a good friend of ours, a great guy to work with when you're looking for your next family home or your first family home. Uh, He's a good guy, cares a lot about families, a lot about Catholic social teaching, a lot about ownership, the property as the art of democracy, as we've talked about on the show many times. Check him out, Rob Holler at Key Realty. Teresa, we've been <laughs> off for a while. We have. We're tan now. But we're, well, really? Yeah. Well, sort of I know. Halfway up the arm, maybe. I didn't have to put on makeup. But we're back with a bang because we have a couple really, really special uh, uh, guests with us today. Jacob Imam, Mark Barnes. Um, I'm going to let you guys, tell us a bit about yourself, what you do, um, and we might Using some of the connections later that we've had in the past, but uh, where are you from? What you do? You first. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> uh, got me there. Well, I live in Soonville, Ohio, uh, in part because Mark convinced me that it's the best place in the world, I and did. I am fully convinced of that now. <laughs> uh, I live there with my wife and my son, and we are we were kind of bouncing back and forth between there and England the last couple of years, where I'm finishing uh, my last degree. Uh, in theology and economics, and uh, but now we've, we're back. We're back for good, and, and we love being back there. <laughs> awesome. I garden. <laughs> <laughs> My sunflowers are like seven feet tall right now, and still have not given me a flower. That's Mine have awesome. gotten eaten. This is the so. this is the drama of my life, yeah. and it's what keeps me going. <laughs> yeah. in the morning. I also write. Uh, both Jacob and I um, are three f- two. F- two-sixth of an uh, organization called New Polity um, in Steubenville. Easiest way to explain it is it's a think tank. But that just sounds so boring. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's a place where I we imagine uh, and invite people to imagine alongside us what the kingdom of God actually yeah. looks like in a concrete, real way. Yeah, that sounds yeah. a lot less boring. <laughs> it's like extremely not boring, but it depends on who you're talking to, That's right? true, that's true. Because if I meet someone in Zimbabwe and they're like, what do you do for a living? I'm like, I'm a journalist <laughs> who works at a journalist place. <laughs> Make it easy. Yeah, very good. Yeah, so we, I mean, we had a couple 
classes together when I was in Steubenville. I remember the back um, of your head. Oh, yeah. Aww. I remember the side of yours. Thanks. Maybe it was it must have been a different class. <laughs> I think that was when I was auditing that, that Thomas Aquinas class with Dr. Roberts. Roberts. That was fun. I love that guy. Man. You that know, guy. you might not learn too much, but you will learn what the best restaurants in Pittsburgh are. That's right. The Roberts Club. I think I, I still know a couple of them. coming home and saying <laughs> yeah, like, hey, what we gotta go to these places. We to go to. <laughs> well, you also learned that Aquinas was a Platonist, which is fun. Yeah. But we're uh, not talking about We're that. not talking about that. That's right. You know. Quashed. But, Dubious conclusion, too, by the way. Whatever. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> well, you know, but, but what, one thing I... Uh, not to linger there, but one thing I appreciate about those classes, um, and that you know, hopefully we're gonna, we're continuing here on this show and in this conversation today, is hey, that this we want to bring you along on this thought process. You know, together again, as you said, we want to imagine together and brainstorm how we are to be saints in 2021. Mm-hmm. What does it look like in community? What does it look like to be building the kingdom? Not yeah. just just theoretically, but imagining what I can actually do in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason. Go ahead. So if you want to know what's been going on in the Grodi household for the last (laughs) four months, it's basically been uh, New Polity's Good Money podcast on repeat several (laughs) times because I'm a little thick (laughs) with a... CKE, I guess. What is that? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I must just said that's, something that's the French version. You shuffle, you shuffle <laughs> past. Anyway. I feel so bad if, if that is true. That yeah. the atmosphere of your house. I feel bad for your children. They play downstairs. Okay. Yeah. And out, it's yeah. and outside. Yeah. I mean, whatever. So I think at one point, I can't remember what episode it was. It's possible it was the magic episode, where I was just like, it was in the morning, and I shot off this email that was like. We're going to throw a huge party in my backyard, and it's going to be a magical hobbit party with all of the good things and treats. Um, and that's how they came to this our studio weekend. today. No. So. So you did lie. We did not get them. Yeah, it wasn't magical. We're in the backyard hard. anyways. Yeah. There's, a lot, there's a lot that was wonderful about yeah. it. I think there's, there's two main connections. You know, num- Number one is the New Polity podcast that we've been listening to. We were really enjoying your guys' series on the virtues that regard money. Yeah. We, we talk a lot about virtues on the show. We've, mm-hmm. we've kind of talked through the cardinal virtues. Virtues and we're always kind of when we in our show kind of what we do is we take something ordinary and we kind of we pull it out and we look at the virtues in relationship to it mm. we look at maybe what's god trying to speak to us through that thing that seems so ordinary so we can go back out into life and live more well and so the money stuff that really related to us but also like when we we lived briefly in steubenville and it was just about the time when uh, the harmonium project was getting rolling mm-hmm. and you guys you know, kind of had this this love your town initiative. You know, the the, the downtown Steubenville. If you don't know, uh, it's uh, it's got a lot of problems. It's kind of run down as a place for a variety of reasons over the years. But you guys were doing a lot to, to to be a presence downtown, to kind of revitalize things, get some festivals going. It was a neat project. We loved it. We ended up having to leave just as it was going to get enrolling. But we've been watching ever since. Kind of the the Facebook photos. Yeah. So community and money and virtue. That's kind of the arena of stuff that we really excited to talk to you guys more about today. So great. Where do you want to start? All All Jacob has things. (laughs) (laughs) I I think the first thing to say, maybe it's already been said, is that I'm don't particularly like money. Mm -hmm. I don't particularly care about this stuff. And I find it difficult to like conceptualize concepts about money mm-hmm. so if there's an economic problem jacob has to describe it to me like 11 <laughs> times yeah and on the 11th time then i forget this is why, this is why i've been listening right. to your podcast on repeat john so, mark and nick had a discussion about bitcoin the other day and i couldn't even stay present right, right. i was just like 
How can anyone? But what hear? I would, what I want to, what I want to suggest—that means that you're healthy and doing well. I think actually, yeah. What I want to suggest is that 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 sense of of money being this sort of separate sphere that some people are into and some people are not is itself a kind of operation of the way we do our economy of money that is keeping us from being saints. And what I mean is pretty simple. Like when when we have that feeling of money as being something separate from the ordinary part of our existence, that we should have particular actions, particular virtues which moderate it, um, that there's a particular plan for money, that there's a particular way of dealing with it that makes you holy and a particular way of dealing with it that makes you damned. And these are, this is true of every part of life. The, the very sort of idea that it's actually this obscure kind of vague phenomenon that only the brilliant um, can get or at least only the those who desire to be very wealthy can get. Um, it's not true. It's one of the ways in which I think we're kept from actually becoming virtuous um, through money. And so I just want to assure anyone who's listening who thinks, oh boy, a money talk, that's, that's not me. <laughs> it's not me either. What we want to talk about is the ways in which it is literally for everyone. Mm-hmm. And and that's what Jacob's been teaching me about, <laughs> or at least at least gradually convincing me about. <laughs> I th- think with money, we do have this understanding uh, generally in culture that there are certain things that we just have to do with it. Not everybody follows those rules, but the whole, you know, set aside ten percent for investing, set aside ten percent for retirement. These are these are things that are almost like moral dictums that yeah. we have that we just have to do. Otherwise we're, we're kind of a gross person that doesn't keep <laughs> up. And if, even if we don't do those things, uh, we know that we should be doing those things. Why we do those things. What is, what does it even mean to like invest money when you set aside money for retirement? Where do you put it? What is a 401k? How does that even work? These are kind of abstract r- realms that some people know about and how they operate and others that don't. And, um, and that's that's in a sense okay. We don't want to come off and right off the bat and say anything like, "Oh, you know th- that that was wrong from the from the get go." Like really rethink. But we want to invite people to think alongside us, uh, alongside us, and considering the virtues, considering the life that Christ is calling us to, and then from those principles, uh, let's apply those. Because the kingdom of God is not something just abstract or also it's not something that we just live uh, individually. It's something that we live corporately. And there's a a particular way, a particular society, a particular set of mores and habits that Christ really wants to uh, instantiate in the world. And that he does that through his followers, uh, through us. And so... Yeah, when we when we looked at yeah. the Middle Ages, it was um, they had this sense of what to do with money is to become a particular kind of person, right? You need to be a virtuous man in regards to money, and they had particular virtues that moderated the use of money. Now, I don't know if before listening, you guys had heard of these. I had not. So, mm-hmm. I mean, just to say them, you know, you're supposed to have liberality. You're mm-hmm. supposed to have magnificence. You're supposed to have beneficence, right? You're supposed to have almsgiving as a habit of your soul. Now, these are things that were just taken as as gr- they were taken for granted, really, in the Middle Ages um, and and not even just the Middle Ages moving forward into that to the point that you could critique someone for not being beneficent, for mm-hmm. not being magnificent when they're supposed to be magnificent. Yep. Whereas today we hardly have, I think, the imagination mm-hmm. capable of understanding the judgment upon those with money. And I don't just mean lots of money. I mean any amount of money being a judgment of character. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about personal responsibility, financial responsibility, doing the right things, checking the right boxes, putting the money in the right account. Mm-hmm. That's where we consider, you know, the judgment to be. Right. Hardly would we ever say something like, uh, there's a real lack of magnificence in this neighborhood, I can tell. <laughs> I say that a lot, but... <laughs> I say it a lot now. <laughs> and so I think it just shows how... Um, how different the Christian approach is. Mm-hmm. We don't approach money as fundamentally a game of numbers um, or a game of acquisition. We approach money with the question of what kind of person are you becoming through its use? And we have words that we use to describe the right kind of person to become, the particular shape to become. Yeah, you know, something. Some money. So I'm not a philosopher, I'm a historian. So well, a lot of, yeah, no, I know, right? It's hard to, it's hard to Didn't you see the sign on the door? No. Talk. Pretentious people only. <laughs> so when John Mark started getting into Joseph Pieper and explaining the virtues to me, mm-hmm. um, I was so shocked about how quickly I started to take the virtues and implement them in my practical life. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was surprised, like, cause before we had talked about like virtues are like these statues in your cathedral. Like this is prudence right. and this is temperance and this is fortitude. And I'm not those things. So boo. Things. <laughs> you know? Well, it's but. just like, they're just unapproachable. I mean, they're like angels. I don't understand how to be that, mm. you know, but when Joseph Pieper or John Mark through Joseph Pieper or whatever started um, explaining them to me, I found them so practical mm-hmm. and I found that my growth in character was, was doing better every day. Mm-hmm. And when you guys started explaining the, um, the uh, virtues pertaining to money on your podcast, even though you're philosophers and sometimes it took me a while to get through. I was, I was shocked at how often I took those particular virtues and knew them by name and implemented them in my life or recognized them in myself or praised them in my children or praised them in other people. I actually had to, I praised someone um, for being liberal, for always being liberal with the college students. We have a, a family who, um, would always house college students for free. Um, very wealthy, extra bedrooms, kids grown, and they would just house the college students who needed places to be. And I saw her the other day and I praised her for being liberal and she was like, <laughs> she was taken aback and I was like, like oh. let me explain the virtue of liberality. But I was, I was shocked that I, I was implementing these abstract things so quickly in yeah. my daily life. And this is something that, again, yeah, it, it's been on my mind the past couple of years. And, and again, I, my ears really perked up with your guys' podcast because it does seem to me that in, in a more general way, the, the whole, the, the concept of the virtues, the understanding that is part of our heritage as Catholics has really been lost. And its absence is very conspicuous because we do end up with a situation where we have, even if we are, Catholics who attend to the high ideals that the the church calls us to holiness, imitation of Christ. We don't really know how to bridge the gap. We we see the ideals. We recognize that we are crappy people and we don't really know how to get there. Um, and the concept of virtue as putting on Christ, putting on uh, the, the ways of living and that there's a, th- this habitual uh, disposition that you develop by mm-hmm. walking in these paths, walking in these ways. And by having the concepts of virtue so you kind of identify a particular pattern of living so that you can identify where it's lacking and you can begin to walk in it and tread that path, get a feel for it. That's so crucial because, again, if somebody's familiar with your guys' podcast at all, they may have seen some of the, the, the titles, you know, and they might have been freaked out like, oh, these guys are down on investing and 401ks and a bunch of emergency a bunch of the <laughs> but they're, they're looking at maybe the conclusions. But but the whole point is here. Listen, 
who knows what radical, awesome things Christ might be, might be calling us to do. Yeah. But how do we get there? It's by now mm-hmm. practicing these patterns of living. The virtues are where it's at. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. I think that's a really important point because within the entire Christian life, it's all about assuming the virtues. It's all about clothing yourself with Christ. Yeah. Like be- entering into his very life. Uh, and the virtues are the path. Are really they're the result of that in, in another sense, um, and so when we're when we're talking about kind of radical conclusions, they are it, it must be said that they are conclusions. They kind of come at the end mm-hmm. of a process of entering into divine intimacy, mm. but but that's the goal. And what and of course we I think we would all answer uh, the question of is entering into divine intimacy radical or not as yeah it's totally radical it changes everything christ did not live the normal life um but man did he live a good life and is Mm -hmm. life with him so good man it is it's just one glorious moment after another you know you know i I think that um, americans because you said you said that we don't we've lost this it's a mm -hmm. conspicuous absence i think i know why americans don't like virtue (laughs) as you were saying it i just thought of it and a podcast is the ideal opportunity to say the first thought that there comes you go. to your head. Amen. That's my motto. We love individualism. We love being individuals. And there's something about virtue that on first glance can seem that it means you're becoming a repetition of a type. Mm-hmm. Use the term like mm-hmm. a, a, a well-trodden path or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And it's true. Like what it means to become patient, to become long-suffering, to become courageous means in some ways to conform to an ideal mm-hmm. similar to the to the dear lady prudence that glowered <laughs> at you from the uh, cathedral yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a common misconception of virtue i right. think right um, because while of course human beings learn by imitation and grow through imitation that's obvious if you've ever had a two-year-old suddenly repeat the thing you say you're like oh right and that's how human beings work <laughs> imitate i wish i had given him better words i know <laughs> yeah i know my, my son for the just like stood back from something he didn't like and was just like oh man like, oh, that didn't come from your that's me yeah. um, but we want to be unique we want to be individuals i mean disney has told us this from a very young age that there's a particular dream that if we fought, like if we believe in we will get and we're going to be um we're going to wow everyone by how particular an individual we are mm-hmm. and there's something i think about virtue that says no you're not you're not simply going to be uh individual you're going to be like unto something that we can something else you're going to be something that we can name oh that's a patient person mm-hmm. oh that's a long-suffering person that's a courageous person mm-hmm. i think that that makes us feel constrained right as people living mm-hmm. under a philosophy of individualism but it's um Christ isn't like that. When we mm-hmm. take on Christ, we become most fully ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it's true that this is a social becoming, right? Like we we become it walking in the ways of our fathers and in the ways of the saints that we imitate and ultimately in imitation of Christ. Mm-hmm. But this isn't like some kind of identical repetition. You know, one, one of the things that we know about the saints is that they're all radically different. Mm-hmm. And one thing you know about sinners is that they're all radically similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can always want to know know what a man with lust in his heart is going to do any given any given moment, but you can never quite tell what a saint's going to do with the Holy Spirit within them, right? Yeah. I mean, this is this seems to be true to me. The speak. Yeah, Jack the, Sparrow. I'm pretty sure Jack the Jack re- Sparrow. reality yeah. that the resurrection after death is real. The death that we have to ourselves. You know, I always talk about like postpartum depression was mm. one of the best deaths I could have ever endured mm. because the resurrection is real. 
uniting my suffering with Jesus, even in a very imperfect way, made me a, it almost felt like after it was over or after whatever, however that works, that I felt like fertility dripping from me. Like I felt fertile. I felt Mm. more fertile. I felt God's divine creativity in ways that I couldn't have experienced before. And it's because the resurrection is real, Mm. you know? And so when we, when we conform ourselves to Christ, his Mm. divine creativity can explode out of us Mm. in a way that we couldn't have chosen for ourselves, but in a way that is so much more us than we could have ever imagined, you know? So it's like learning any skill. It's like at first you're imitating. And then once you have it, once you really have the skill, then you can be creative with it, right? Like you don't know what a master carpenter is going to do or exactly how Mm -hmm. he's going to do it. Even if you can understand the apprentice to be, you know, desperately trying to keep up with the master. Right. And it's a similar thing for virtue. And it's the same thing with, with the virtues concerning money that, um, when, when we speak of them, we have to understand that the goal is ultimately to become an immensely unpredictable creative people in our use of money and not to simply conform to some kind of um, ideal moral type. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, even if conformity in some ways is part of the process. <laughs> so that's that's what I think about Americans. Yeah. I think you're right. You <laughs> Probably got everybody. Sorry. But well, I want to turn and you know discuss you listed some of those virtues yeah. in relation to money. Um, we we always like to to start by reminding people because we, we we talk a lot about prudence on the show here. We're big fans of the virtue of prudence, <laughs> and the aspect of prudence that we're always kind of calling people back to it really fits with the apostolate here, the awaken that that the the first step in, in any uh, growth in the moral life in the virtuous life is this conversion, this turning back to reality, right. saying whatever I've accumulated, the baggage, the assumptions, the prejudices, the passions I've accumulated, I need to step aside for a moment and ask. And, and prayerfully, like what, how are things, you know, what is the truth here? And so in terms of money, like obviously, and this is a place you guys often start, like we need to remember what money is to begin to discuss what it's for and how we are to use it. So what is money? Very briefly here, <laughs> if you can. I have no clue. <laughs> he doesn't know. Uh, money is supposed to be a measure of our labor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, uh, in a more te- technical sense, uh, a communal uh, instrument. Mm-hmm. It only exists because we collectively agree to make it exist. Yeah. It's not like a, a piece of wood mm-hmm. or, or a table, which whether or not we like it, it's it's there. Um, if we decide collectively that money is is not there or is worthless, then then it is worthless. Yeah. I mean, money is actually like the paper dollars and bills of coins, so full of like cheap nickel and stuff like that. It's, <laughs> it's one of the most worthless things on the planet. Mm-hmm. Nobody would ever want it in and of itself. Mm-hmm. It's only something that we have agreed uh, to find valuable. Now, money w- that was originally created in order to help distribute the good gifts of creation, the things that God collectively gave all of us, not just some of us, but all of us. And so money allows us to redistribute some of those good things uh, to to those who need them. Uh, we often think of money as something that is attached solely to our labor and therefore just based 
according to our will and how we want to spend them. But if we understand correctly that it's that money has an allocation that's proper to the way that God created the world and gave it to all of us, then then that radically changes the way that we understand our ownership over our own labor, mm-hmm. uh, let alone the fruits of it, that it's ultimately supposed to cooperate in God's giving, that they are gifts for others. So, so St. Thomas talks about the goal of money or the purpose of money is to sink into real goods, uh, mm-hmm. to exchange money for the real good gifts of creation. Um, th- I think this is important when you're talking about prudence, about going back to reality, mm-hmm. because when we when we have money, it it doesn't tell us what it's for. Mm-hmm. It's it's an un- like to use kind of philosophical. Uh, language is a non-revealing sign. It doesn't have a big letterhead on it saying uh, for broccoli or whatever. You know, it's it's it really does demand our own understanding of what's needed, what's necessary, and what's good in order to be able to replace it for those things. Mm-hmm. And then, and Christ gives us perhaps a more. Uh, uh, fine-tuned understanding of what we're supposed to, why we're supposed to be sink, sinking money into real goods. Mm-hmm. And his answer in, in Luke's gospel is that we are supposed to use the mammon of iniquity to make friends, make friends with the mammon of iniquity. That's, that's his line. And so in other words, money is for the point of making friends with other people. And this might sound kind of airy-fairy or strange to folks, uh, but it's really profound and it needs to be understood in its profundity that all of creation is ultimately for coming into friendship with God, Um, that God's relation with himself and the triune being, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, eternally begetting, proceeding, loving one another is what we are ultimately entering into. We call somebody who successfully became a friend of God a saint. And insofar as we became, become a friend of God, we also become a friend to one another. And so money has to be used for that ultimate end. If that's our ultimate end, then, then everything around us is, is in order to help us get there. And money's no different. And that's what Christ tells us in, in Luke's gospel. And I, I think this is pretty much um, impossible to... <laughs> other people sometimes because what money is experienced as here for a few reasons is as an abstract power Mm -hmm. what i mean by that is simply that that sinking into a particular good so understanding it as a mere social convention by which we exchange and attain real things Mm -hmm. um that becomes secondary what becomes primary is the sense of money as a store a security and a power what I mean by that is if I have $100, the typical sense is not to see through it. Like it doesn't become transparent to the good that it's supposed to be because largely we don't know what we're doing with our lives, much less <laughs> our money. Um, rather, it becomes a sense of power mm-hmm. in the sense of it's an abstract power to do something and who knows what, mm-hmm. right? And you can see this very clearly when you start to think about like amassed sums. Like what do you do with a billion dollars? Mm-hmm. No one knows what to do with a billion dollars. But the point is not that they have something to do with a billion dollars because if they did, they wouldn't have it. They would have done the thing that they wanted a billion dollars for. It's because what it does in a society which is not following Christ's uh, demand that we particularize money and, mm-hmm. and use it to make friends um, is that we hold on to it in order to become higher than other people. So – 
and also just to secure ourselves against anxiety. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest thing is that we yeah. we fear the world and we view money as power that can be used against um, calamity. You, you, you describing it in those ways as the as the non-revealing sign mm-hmm. that it's you were supposed to see through it to toward the the definite goods that it, it's it's for, yeah. but instead seeing it as, as this store of power, it, it seems to me that that's why it would seem to me that that's why Christ is warns us about the danger of money. Mm-hmm. You know, in a different way than he would warn us about the danger of of anything else, like food and drink and the, the goods of this world, they can be idols too. But money is more dangerous than a loaf of bread in terms of its uh, tendency to to lead you to, to focus on the power and staving off anxiety in this human sense. And and also, again, because it's a non-revealing sign, like you, you see bread and you see what it's for because you're like, oh, that looks like a good piece of bread. I want some of that bread. Exactly. Yeah. Because money is a non-revealing sign, it's much easier to, to not go that extra step of specifying, no, no, it's not okay to just not do something with this. It has to be given a purpose. It has to be given a good purpose. To let it remain neutral is to really neglect a duty that I've been given. If I've been given money, is to do good with it. Mm-hmm. Bread reveals its purpose much more readily than money does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would just add on to that. It's to to refer back to our, the beginning of this conversation that the sinful person is always kind of boring, mm-hmm. that they always do the same thing, that the lustful man is predictable. You know what he looks like. He's, you know what he's going to do. Whereas you never really knew what St. Francis was going to do next. <laughs> you never really knew what St. Thomas was even going to, to say next. Um, and, and that's because they were profoundly creative because they were entering into the life of the creator. Mm-hmm. And money really demands that same virtuous creativity to be able to translate the abstract, non-revealing thing mm-hmm. to the real, yeah. to, to that movement. Creativity is just necessary for that. Well, let's move into some of those, those virtues. Well, uh, I think beneficence yeah. is, is already on the tip of our tongues here yeah. because... Well, beneficence is, um, it means literally, as I understand it, to, to do good, which can sound like it has nothing in particular to do with money. I mean, we should do good all the time. Um, but in the specific sense of understanding that every action and everything we do, the reason we wake up in the morning is to give gifts to others mm-hmm. and that money is included in that. The, 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 the beneficent man, sorry. That's hard to say. Beneficent <laughs> man. It's because we don't say it enough. Right. Say it. <laughs> yeah. it should be as easy as saying... Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. I was going to say like iPhone or something. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the beneficent man um, is the one who can fully see through money hmm. because he understands that what he is for is giving gifts to others. And so there's no moment at which he holds on to money um, as a sort of neutral thing that he can just keep um, because that's not the point of existence. That's not the point of life. Mm. So the, the one who has the virtue of beneficence is the one who is disposed and ready to give gifts, you know, and, and because he's disposed and ready to give gifts, he does and he does it often. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gives and it, and it makes him an image of who God is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is really important because most of the time when we're thinking about money, we think in terms of uh, I got to pay off a debt, Mm -hmm. Uh, I got to I got to reimburse that person. With and that makes us just without even thinking about it, believe that things that were given to us can be 
paid back, returned, like a void filled and a duty to another closed. Right. And, and that's really dangerous. St. Thomas talks about this and he says, that's just not the case. When somebody gives you something, it's not, you're not able to go back. Time moves forward. Things are unique. You can't repeat them never perfectly. And so each moment is a gift, first from God, but also in participation and mediation from others. And so when we, when even when I, you know, hand somebody a beer or just had somebody hand me a beer, you know, thank you, uh, that... Uh, that that is a moment that I I don't need to say. Well, I I got to make sure that I I do I give him a beer back at some point. A gift invites somebody into a further relationship, mm. uh, so that you have this what Saint Thomas calls a holy competition of gift giving, mm. where you're constantly outdoing, trying to outdo one another, but not for the sake of showing up the other, not for the sake of honor, not for the sake of ensuring that the other doesn't have a claim on you Mm -hmm. but so that the other person always might so that you might have a greater union uh, with the other person a better friendship with with that person and and that is just the way that the universe works Mm -hmm. i don't care if you go to the store and you buy a coke you buy a loaf of bread that's just what happens you give something they give something back that is a gift that's happening in that moment but we put this monetary veil over it and pretend as if the reimbursement is all that there is so that you know you gave a gift you received a gift the relationship is over there's no holy competition to extend that relationality of gift giving yeah. forward into the future there's no potential of a, of a friendship going forward mm-hmm. It's the relationship's done. And that's that's really a, a sad thing. And that's yeah. the reason why St. Thomas talks about the use of money as being so bad. And it's not just when, when, when he's commenting on St. Paul writing to St. Timothy and saying that, that the love of money is the root of all evil. He, he, why he says that it's not just the, the greedy man who's counting his coins every day that is the real problem there mm-hmm. but it, st thomas specifies it's actually just you know you and i commonly using money mm-hmm. like loving the use of it in our daily transactions right. that is really the the biggest problem with the invention itself the invention yeah. of money itself we, we talk a little bit about meal trains often on here mm-hmm. but the thing i love about meal trains like setting up a meal schedule for people for whatever reason Someone we do it a lot up or had for, a baby setting yeah. up a, a series of yeah and i know you guys them. have this in your community mm-hmm. in steubenville too because that's where we learned it from <laughs> when we lived in steubenville yeah it's been a huge gift for us yeah yeah, yeah. but it's I'm, just like I'm when to get a meal train <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i don't expect a gift but i hope for it <laughs> <laughs> but what i see a lot is that a lot of times women resist it one baby sure. two babies hmm. and then they find themselves in a position where they're like, I'm going to do this because I think it's just going to be really rough or somebody's yeah. out of town or my husband's got to travel or something like that. And whatever reason it is that they've decided to accept this this time, they do change. They change after that. And it's it's a change of like they become more involved. Mm-hmm. They become in the community, not, you know, they they bring meals. They they just become more involved. They show up more to things and they, they offer more and they text more and they ask more mm. because you you've you see the generosity you know mm-hmm. you see the generosity coming at you and you're just like 
it's a holy competition. You know, it's not like I have to repay these women back, you know, because a lot of times I'll tell women like, no, thank you cards. Do not do it unless it's like your love language and you need it and you like have to. Be, <laughs> it makes you happy and relaxed or whatever. Just don't do it. But I'm um, in gardening is similar, you know, like when you see the bounty that's produced, we we're talking about sweet potatoes today. Mm-hmm. Now, like one potato can is like feeding many, 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 many people. And you're just like, yeah. how can I? It's it's all like you all you just stand in awe. You're like, there's so many good gifts yeah. being given all the time. How can I show other people that these good gifts are being given all the time? Well, I think mm-hmm. that in in our country and in others, there is a tendency to deny the abundance of the world and our communities and a tendency to reject gifts as gifts. So I think about one of the most common phrases we say when someone does something for us, we say, Oh, I owe you. I owe you. I owe you one. Um, I'll get you back or whatever it is. And usually we don't actually mean it. So I don't think it's that problematic. You can keep saying that. But there's a, there's a training involved where, we want to translate gifts into this idea of exchange that is somehow apart from from gift. Mm-hmm. Like we want to say, and I think part of the reason is that we really fear belonging to communities, to strong communities. We want to be strong individuals where mm-hmm. you know we can pay back any debt and we have mastery and we don't need anyone and we don't need gifts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we try to translate every gift we receive unconditionally into something that we can potentially pay back Mm -hmm. because it makes us feel better. What's tough, I think, for us is to acknowledge that, no, I mean, we spent the first three plus years having our butts wiped uh, by our parents and then we didn't really get much better for the next 10 and then after that it was still pretty lame and by 20 we were still asking for money yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know my point like it's mm-hmm. we we try to like suppress who we are mm-hmm. we really want to be these autonomous self-mastered individuals and we want to deny how we were born and we want to deny that we're going to die mm-hmm. and that in both ends we're going to need great help and in every time we're sick or in trouble in between because that is the ideal image presented to us mm-hmm. um, within our culture and so that saying otherwise saying that hey no not only should we give gifts be beneficent um, and be orientated towards giving gifts but also to receiving gifts without shame um, this is a counter, is a more counter cultural message, I think, than we think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of resistance to it. And it's, and I know, I know this is cause I've, I've heard this a few times, you know, we've been discussing it and everything. I know that, you know, to, to see ben- beneficence part of, um, what's helpful is to look at its, its opposite, yeah. the scandal. Oh. Yep. And, we, and that's kind of what we've been talking about here. The, the various ways that we use money. Um, they give a false image of God and they give a false image of God's universe. And as Christians, many of the ways that we're using money without really thinking of it are giving ourselves and other people around us a false sense of what the Christian life really is about. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure you've talked about this on the show already, but every virtue has an opposing vice Mm -hmm. or vices and beneficence uh, opposing vices, scandal, and what's I and mean, we all know scandal. We've seen scandals in the church, but particularly what scandal is is that is it's a lie about God. It tells people something false about the Creator. So then, in contrast, beneficence says something true about Him. Mm-hmm. And so, when we are starting to give gifts rather than to exact reimbursements, we are. St- ceasing to tell a lie and starting to tell something true about mm. God through our actions. 
That's what we hope. At least. Yeah. 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 And when you're good at, you get good at receiving gifts. I mean, mm-hmm. you're being essentially merry. You know? Yes. Well, yeah. That's you're great. open and receptive to the creator. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Rad. yeah. Steal that, not sight you. Go we we tend it. to think I'll of sight you though. <laughs> yeah. And if he sights, if he doesn't, I'll just say, hey, I, I know where you got that. I don't remember to cite anyone <laughs> except for Charles Dowding. <laughs> we we've all absorbed the scandalous examples of the world, the the, the manners and mores of the world, uh, whereby all of our gift giving. And our our um, our alms giving, our charity, that stuff are, is, are, are sort of periphery actions that happen in the context of a, a worldly sense of what money is, and that's that's the problem. It has to be turned on its head. It, the gift giving economy, uh, as the nature of who God is and who He's calling us to be, that has to be the foundation. And it's in the context of that then we recognize okay, there's a place for some of this economic exchange, but it has to be tied back to the gift giving and not the other way around. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And, and not to be cynical about it, but like our culture is set against us realizing that right? mm-hmm. because the moment that you have people that want to give gifts and receive gifts, mm-hmm. and that's the, that's the actual orientation. That's what makes the economy tick. Yeah. It's really hard to manipulate that economy in such a way that what you're really doing is amassing wealth. Right. Um, I mean, can- you can just imagine. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> um, can we talk about the difference when you're done finishing that thought? No, I'm, I'm um, finished. Two, okay, sorry. <laughs> um, socialism and capitalism as opposed to gift giving. Mm. Because there may not be, like, people may be hearing, like, well, so we're going to get our money gifted to us or mm-hmm. get our mm. stuff gifted to us. And that's what you're talking about, right? We're, we're, we're becoming socialists here. That's right. Yeah. That's what yeah, so can we just clarify <laughs> how you guys feel about... Kick that elephant out of the room in case anyone's thinking it. the church feels about yeah. either, both, whatever. Yeah. Just for our audience. Sure. Yeah, I totally. wasn't a fan of either. I, I was just... My friend just sent me an email recalling the story of a Chesterton walking through the streets of London and he saw two signs that said, down with capitalism and long live the king. And he said, those are the best signs he'd seen all day but then also you know the church has always opposed socialism as well i mean this is anyone who's read the read the popes knows this i think yeah so i mean just it's sometimes hard to hear just the claims of the church first before the reasonings sure uh, but I'm going to do that anyway. You have the beginning of the social encyclicals, the tradition of the social encyclicals, always always starting with a condemnation of capitalism, that this hasn't worked. It's not working. It's actively failing. And socialism is no solution. Hmm. It is just another problem and, and a bigger problem at that. State capitalism, I think it's usually. Yes. <laughs> Pope John Paul II called, that is exactly what he called socialism. He said, this is just capitalism yeah. done up by the state. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the reason why you find uh, these two systems opposing gifts is well precisely because they're systems because they're not personal right you need a person behind them you need somebody who's infused with the virtues mm-hmm. to be able to give a gift uh, no no if, if it's done uh, without the thought of another person in mind a particular person mm-hmm. then there's no real self-giving to them that, that that might unite you you can't be united to to the system it's impossible to ever feel a yeah. real love for the state yeah. uh, it, I, you know i don't care how much how many different objects they they smash eagles onto you can't love it it's just not possible <laughs> well i mean one one way to put it very simply is that if the whole goal of gift giving is that everyone has the goods that they need mm-hmm. right that's why we give gifts 
have this. You yes. look like you could use it. <laughs> <laughs> now, hopefully, we're not giving gifts everything that people don't <laughs> like. That would just be weird. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's the goal, then capitalism is the man who says, ah, I know how to get everyone a gift. I will take all the resources for myself, and then I will distribute them in the form of wages to everybody else. Mm-hmm. That's historical capitalism. That's, that's mm-hmm. what we're talking about. I mean, you might say, well, that's not what free markets are, but then you're just muddying the waters. So this is what actually <laughs> capitalist we, we, yeah, society we, yeah, is. Yeah, so capital, capitalism is the separation of capital and labor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's many different... So it's, not, it's different from entrepreneurship. So, and I think really a lot important. of people use it as synonymous, like entrepreneurship is capitalism. Yeah, I think that's a great point. So uh, Novak was one of the guys that really made that definition famous, but he made that definition of capitalism as this entrepreneurial free spirit in the market. He did that as an apologist for capitalism and not somebody who is actually a rigorous theorist of capitalism. Mm-hmm. Be- and and, and it's, it's just a worthless definition because socialists prize entrepreneurship too mm-hmm. capitalists might think or people that uh, in america who who back capitalism oftentimes might find that a little bit crazy or just wrong that can't be right i haven't been told that mm-hmm. uh, but it's true uh and and saint john paul ii again said you know if if you are a fan of entrepreneurship of of initiative a business initiative of 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 real freedom and uh and in in the marketplace that's great that's wonderful but you really shouldn't be calling yourself a capitalist mm-hmm. he does this in centesimus anus mm-hmm. um and and likewise we would say that same thing to to a socialist like just because you you like these things doesn't mean that you are should be calling yourself a socialist mm-hmm. either there's I don't more. see how you can have socialism without capitalism because you can't have yeah. socialism without separating the capital from the labor and then distributing the it's money back to the, it's whether the, the businessmen or the bureaucrats uh, are, are holding on to it. But again, the, the salient point I think here, and that's what you mentioned earlier, is that really what we're looking at here is a distinction between a focus on individual virtue versus systems. Mm-hmm. Right. And the point is, there is no perfect system. There may be some better or worse systems, but it's the focus on systems as w- what are going to solve our problems. That's the problem. Yeah, I mean, markets or states seem to be the two things that are supposed to distribute gifts mm-hmm. these days. I mean, right. We won't look at it from that context, but the point is that we are supposed to be distributing gifts and becoming right. saint in the pro- saints in the process. Right. Um, now, how that's done is obviously a matter of contention and well, discussion, and lo- but it, it's not a system. Yeah, and, and love can co- cover a multitude of sins. You know, you can be in an imperfect sure. system with a lot of virtuous people, and oh, yeah. you can make a pretty good, just like you can make out a pretty good uh, family home. You, it's going to be an imperfect system, but if the people are pursuing virtue, you can make a pretty good run of it. Right. But it'd be, yeah. it would be wrong to describe, and I've heard this done before, where people describe the role of Christianity as essentially a softening role. It's like, okay, well, capitalism obviously is the best system, and then we're going to plug Christianity into it. Mm-hmm. And what it's going to do is those moments in which the profit motive says that you want to do something bad, mm-hmm. it's going to it's going to quash that, and you're mm-hmm. going to remember you're not going to be led by greed, even if the system is saying, well, it's the pursuit of profit for its own sake that's actually driving this this whole system. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not – that's a weak, weak version of Christianity. I mean the idea that that Christ came and died so we could build a social order that moderates uh, brutal economic order as best as it can uh, <laughs> is just not true. I mean Christ yeah. wants a particular social order in which the way that he lives is the way that we live. Right. From top to bottom. Yeah. yeah. 
so we're called to be virtuous, to put on Christ. And in a particular way, we're called to this virtue of beneficence, to do good. There's not neutral territory in our life. Mm-hmm. It's not enough just to not sin. We need to be doing good, bearing fruit as disciples. Mm-hmm. And so um, can we run through a few of the other ones? We're not going to be able to dive deeply into all of them, but at least get the vocabulary out there and we can keep the discussion rolling. Yeah, great. You know? So maybe the next one to talk about is liberality. Mm-hmm. And liberality is really a, a better way of how we refer to generous people. The liberal person is one who knows how to use money really well. Its opposing vices are two, greed on the one hand and prodigality on the other. The greedy person really doesn't know what to do with his money. That's why he keeps accumulating it. And I think this is also really important to realize. I mean, this was certainly one of my besetting sins before uh, St. Thomas came and slapped me across the head, and it's still (laughs) a temptation for me. and it wasn't so much that I was like Scrooge um, at Christmas time, you know, trading trading stocks, uh, though I may have been. Uh, it was it was more that uh, I just did not know what my money was for, and as a result, I just kept accumulating more and more and more of it, and telling myself something to the effect of, "Well, this will be for the future. This will be for like a bigger house, for you know, vacations with my family, for retirement." Uh, all in a very abstract sense, and uh, and the liberal person says, no, no, no. Let's let's be really specific. Let's be creative in understanding what our money as a placeholder is holding a place for. On the other side, you have prodigality, and that's a vice that really is when a person is taken by the whims of his own emotion and spends his money freely on on whatever he desires in and of that moment. He doesn't have the foresight to know what his money is for Mm -hmm. and saving accordingly to be able to one day sink his funds into a real good and real action. Yeah. Uh, The next one, almsgiving. Sure. You want to jump on that one? Yeah, almsgiving is a fantastic virtue, and it's um, really one of those virtues that's, that's, I think, only understandable within the Christian life. I just don't think you can get around that Mm -hmm. um, because it is penitential. And what I mean by that is just that the reason you give alms or, or the effect of giving alms is for the expiation of your sins. And you think about it might sound like like you can buy buy your sins away. And I don't mean that because you're not buying. You're giving. <laughs> but in a real sense, it's like what sin does is it hurts the body of Christ. You know, every sin, no matter how small and how interior – creates you as a particular kind of person who is less loving and less able to be loving to others. And so the whole body suffers. Now, almsgiving is just one of the clearest, most obvious ways that you can literally undo that. So you have someone who is suffering, which is only here because of sin, right? Mm-hmm. Now, maybe it's not your sin in that instance, but you're part of it. You're sinning. You're part of the whole the whole suffering body. So when you alleviate that suffering... You are literally alleviating a condition that sin itself has brought upon this particular person, whether it's because they're poor, because they live in in an unjust economic system, whether it's because they're diseased, because they live in a disordered world, whatever it is. So the alm actually is a solve on the body, on the wounded body of Christ. And that lifts us up corporately closer to God because you're actually using money for the particular reason of bringing people back into um, a community, um, taking away the suffering that makes them outcast in whatever way and bringing them back into that community. Mm -hmm. I think this is really, it's very important for us today because 
when we think of alms, um, we think of the people who give them as being good and like, uh, you, you know, we, we glorify them and praise them for their almsgiving. We're like, Jeff wow. Bezos gave $12 million to Catholic charities. Yeah, wow. Yeah. What a great person. <laughs> but what the church says, for example, if they see, if they see someone giving alms, they say, oh, there goes a miserable sinner, you know, on his way to God. <laughs> On his way to God. And, and, yeah. that, and that's so important because you can get this twisted idea that when we talk about giving gifts, we're somehow speaking from a place of like uh, the, the body of Christ is here and then the people who have, have money and the ability to give are kind of up here helping. Mm-hmm. But that's not the case at all. I mean, that's what almsgiving makes clear. It's like, no, you belong to a social body that is wrecked because of sin and you have to help them in order to help yourself mm-hmm. because you're brothers. Right? There's no like just helping the other person without helping yourself. And that's what almsgiving acknowledges. And when people understand that, when they believe that about the world, um, then a whole new way of, of distributing wealth in society becomes possible because you are actually able to remind those who have money that there is a benefit for them to give. Whereas right now you have to sort of like fake it. You have to be like, oh, please give because we'll put your name on this plaque and we'll name the, we'll name the room after you and, and, or whatever it is. I mean, the, the, any priest who's tried to raise money knows that it's this battle of trying to invent material goods that people can sort of pretend that they have bought with their donation. And it's, it's sad. It's like you want to live in a society where you can tell someone like, hey, How's your almsgiving going? You haven't done something recently? Come on, expiate your sins. Like <laughs> <laughs> that was that was Mother Angelica, wasn't it? Totally. Yeah, she totally had such a, a way, fire. you know, of like, hey, mob boss. Yeah. yeah. You have done a lot of sinning, so now you need to build me this totally. monastery. <laughs> totally. No, I mean, it, it's absolutely, um, it's it's the most immediate way to call people away from their amassments um, mm-hmm. to for the sake of their soul. But because it's for the sake of their soul, it's mm-hmm. very difficult to speak of in a society that doesn't know that it has a yeah. soul. Last uh, night you said that like <laughs> almsgiving has to hurt. Yeah, and a, it's I a think, separation. Yeah, and it, that was really profound for me because I think living in our current world, we're always looking for win-wins. Absolutely. And God truly is win-win. He is. He's the maker of win-win-win situations. But like... We're always looking for a tax write-off. Yep. We're looking for, you know, like, this is going to help my company. That's going to help this. That's going to help, you know, where everybody's going to win. Right. You know, and it, you're right. You, you, sorry, the microphone, um, me <laughs> and the microphone. Um, it's there to hurt because it's penance. It's penitential. Mm-hmm. And there should be that separation where you let it go and mm-hmm. you don't worry anymore about how it's working out there totally. for whatever. Yeah, one of, one of the, the cliches is this idea that your money should always be working for you mm-hmm. in some way. Um, it's just not true. You're, maybe in a very particular instance, your money should be working in the sense of being invested, and, but that's not necessary. Mm-hmm. Just burn it, get rid of it. Well, that, you know, there's, I know there's more virtues connected to money. There's a couple more, um, but those three in particular, we'll talk about those maybe, maybe later and follow up episodes, but those three in particular, I think are, are so practical in giving us the virtues that we can begin with now to think differently about our money and our community. And so maybe to kind of bring this episode to a close, let's just talk, go back over those momentarily and talk about practically how do we begin forming those habits of soul regarding money? Sure. Yeah. I think that's a great question. I mean, to just give 
what I call heuristics or rules for money or like yeah. just uh, guideposts of, along the way. The virtues do provide that, even though it does demand somebody's creativity in each moment and their intimacy with Christ to be able to fully develop. There's kind of ways that we can start working on those paths. So liberality, the, the, the virtuous man who is liberal knows how to use money really well. So one thing that you can just do to help you along that path is to realize that money is a placeholder and to always know what it's holding a place for. So go back over your finances and, and figure out what what is my money in the bank actually doing right now? Hmm. Like is and is it and this is I think an important part of it too that leads us to almsgiving. Is it working in such a way as to serve my neighbors and to lift us up and unite us together to alleviate sin? Or is it working in such a way as to continue on building and ensuring that the systems that are in place in our modern culture continue to live and exist? This one's really tough. This one takes some 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 really uh, honest time before the altar, I think. Um we we discussed this a little bit more in our in our podcast and maybe I could refer people there. Absolutely. Um at uh you can find it on YouTube or anywhere you get podcasts. Um but but really the major question is how is your money working? Is it working to unite people together or are all the companies that we kind of hate and we've we've gotten sick of that we also all rely on in a real <laughs> way too. too. Is, is, are we are we ensuring their stability moving mm-hmm. forward? Are we invested in those companies? Mm-hmm. Um, and so those that gets into some really heavy stuff. Is um, am I investing in the kingdom of God or am I investing in the kingdom of this world? Mm-hmm. And so that's really where where almsgiving leads us. Um, another hum- heuristic, I guess, the heuristic for for um, beneficence is this one of always use your money is to appear as an icon of God. Yeah. You're supposed to be a good gift yeah. giver, uh, like our Heavenly Father is a good gift giver. Then uh, then we use our money in, in that way to do just that. Uh, money is kind of a, a strange thing where it is uh, like a power that overcomes the fall. So at the fall, Adam was said to need the toil and by the sweat of his brow he would be able to cultivate the things that he needs money allows us to procure things without breaking a sweat and so whether you have a little bit or a lot of it you're going to look divine in some capacity insofar as you are circumventing the the curse of the fall so whenever we use it we have to use it in such a way that will image god well we're just not going to get around using it. We're going to use it, so we have to use it in yeah. a way that that mirrors Him. Yeah, I would say as my only practical point um, <laughs> would be that when you reflect on your use of money, you should realize that money is always for its use. It's very simple. If you don't have a particular use, then it's time to burn that money. Okay. Now this might mean giving it away to someone who needs it. Throw a party. But I do think <laughs> we need more parties. And the reason is because, you know, sometimes we get scared of extravagance. We hear a lot about financial responsibility, which is often a way of lying to ourselves. We say, well, we're being financially responsible, which means we're not doing anything with our money. That's just what <laughs> yeah. it like, practically means. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the ways to fight against that temptation to think of ourselves as sort of shriveled, responsible husks is to, in fact, throw really big parties mm-hmm. that are obviously for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. So you're literally giving a gift, right? That 
you suffer from financially, but you obviously benefit from because you're a part of the community mm-hmm. that's partying. I mean, this is this is the whole. This is what's great about a party is that it's for you and for others because you recognize in the party that you're one body. <laughs> that's what a party is. It's that I mean, when you get down to it, that's what a festival is. Why do we have festivals? Well, in the end, it's because we're good and we want to celebrate the fact that we exist. I mean, that's what a festival is for. I mean, there's superficial differences, like some of it's for harvest, some of it's for winter or whatever. So I would really advise um, Catholics who find themselves with money that they haven't actually devoted to a particular Mm -hmm. purpose to do very um, elaborate and large parties with fireworks where the money just goes. (laughs) Literally blow up your money. One thing that I really loved and what really was so profoundly transformative um, for my wife and for me when we moved to Steubenville, everybody celebrated the liturgical calendar. I mean, there was like a feast at somebody's house for every saint. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, for, For, you know, somebody who name their child after the saint for the saint's feast day like whoever has some connection to the saint the party was at their house Mm -hmm. and so it really elevated our minds to think in terms of the church's calendar the liturgical seasons and not just in accordance with the world's seasons uh and and how plain they are i mean there's not even seasons in the world you can always get you know oranges and apples no matter what season it is and uh and so if you wanted a, a great way of First, blowing your money in a festival, you know, choose choose a saint that you really love and celebrate them really well with everybody. That's awesome. It is awesome. You know, again, the, the, those virtues and those heuristics, those sort of rules, uh, are so helpful here, and they're so relevant to to this show because, again, what we're all about here is we're called to be saints. Sometimes we're waiting around looking out there, like, oh, I have to go out there and find it some opportunity. I need to go. No, no, no. Already in our money, in our time, in our schedule, in the people he's given us right here in our lives, we have everything we need to begin putting on Christ and begin and working to be a saint. It's here and now. It's just to not miss those opportunities anymore. And so we've got a bunch of great rules here for thinking through those opportunities and maybe missing a few less of them <laughs> baby steps baby steps yeah baby steps that's all it is yeah, yeah. well Jenna, where to find you again yes please yeah so dot com uh, is our website you can again find uh the new polity podcast and a particular particular good money series on anywhere where you're finding podcasts uh and uh and we have a journal uh that's really starting to push along the lines of what does the kingdom of god look like as a whole not just particularly mm-hmm. about economics uh, that's new polity magazine is that anything your, else your articles are amazing oh, yeah. yeah mark in particular yeah. just, mm-hmm. i agree i, I agree i've only read one face. of yours but yeah. <laughs> we talked about one of those articles in the last episode on noise <laughs> the one about sleep we like, uh, yeah. 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 yeah i like to justify people in their naps <laughs> me too Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Thank, hey, you, thank you so much. much. <laughs> and thank you for joining us for this episode of Elevate Ordinary. Again, check out uh, the app at theawakenapp.io. And hey, we'd love to. Uh, to we if you, uh, let, me, let me try this again. If you like what we're doing on this show, you know, looking for those ordinary ways that God is calling us to greatness and the opportunities that we're often missing, but we want to help each other miss them a little less. Hey, um, follow this show and consider becoming a patron. Go to uh, elevateordinary.com. We've got some perks and levels there uh, for people to, to support the show in various ways. But, you know, uh, in our patron community via the Awaken app, uh, there'll be bonus content, additional discussions around uh, this this question of how God's trying to make us saints in the ordinary life. So 
Stick around. Thank you for being here for this episode. God bless you. We'll see you next week. This show and all media on Awaken Catholic is made possible by the Awaken Nation and the Hollow app. The Awaken Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org slash donate. Hollow is the only audio guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. We here at Awaken all use Hollow every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hollow.app slash awaken.